0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, April 5th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 to 50 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is April 10th, and each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 630 a.m. Eastern Time, and that means for Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 530 a.m. Our little team is working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C. That puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection, and here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead off person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other, and here are the folks joining us in today's discussion.
1: Sarah Mickelson in Tampa.
2: Charles Willard in Minnesota. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida.
0: I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North
3: Carolina.
0: Hello, everybody. And uh, today we're reading Luke 23, 1 through 49. Yes, that means we're going to take on the full chapter of Luke. And uh, I just want to say it's always a pleasure uh, to read uh, Scripture with my colleagues. So we divided it up. Uh, And so uh, we'll be reading, I believe, from the New American Standard Version. Uh, And uh, we'll begin with Bill and work our way through.
3: 23, 1 through 49, Bill. Right, I'm, I'm actually reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You do then it, the fine as- Okay. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself Is the Messiah a king? Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he began, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time because He had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer.
2: The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put on an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people. And here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will, therefore, have him flogged and released him. Then they all shouted out together, Away with this fellow! Well, release Barabbas for us! This was a man who had been put in prison
1: for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But, he, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will, therefore, have him flogged and re- then release him. And, but they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand would be granted, should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, And he handed Jesus over as they wished. And as they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, blessed are the barren, the wombs that have never bore, and the breasts that have never nursed.
0: And then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the, when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with it. When they came to the place, that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing." And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, "He saved others, and saved himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one." The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was, were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly. For we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you are in your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. All the sunlight failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for the spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, eating their breasts. But all of his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. That's the word of God. Thanks to have him. We have uh, three questions for today, uh, and I'll go ahead and uh, put the first one out there, and this is coming at you, my friend Sarah. Uh, why the excruciating amount of detail from the author of Luke in this chapter? Sarah?
1: I think the granularity of this story offers a listener many opportunities to engage, to catch on, and be transported by this narrative. And by doing so, this rich and detailed text becomes a part of our living memory, as it was for those bearing witness to it the first time. Um, It gives us the opportunity to uh, feel pathetically um, what it was like to walk in the city that day, to be a part of the crowd, to observe what the women observed and the, and the disciples observed. I think that's profound, but it also gives us this interesting insight into conversations that took place on the cross. Um, so for me, it's it's a rich tapestry that allows me to find a, an import a place to um, to come on or to attach or to connect with. And I think it's different each time I read it. Thank you. Bill Holt, why why all this detail?
3: Well, for me, Don, this narrative provides a complex and nuanced narrative that for me has the ring of reality. Obviously, whatever we read, in this case a portion of Scripture, we read it not only as an ancient document, But we read it in the context of our own here and now lives. And so when I say it has the ring of reality, I have in mind current things that are happening in our world. First of all, political leaders are pictured as posturing, Uh, Pilate and Herod sort of jockeying to push responsibility off. Um, uh, Both seeing initially no reason to act on the accusations, but neither putting an end to that by leaving Jesus declared innocent. So there's that posturing that goes on. I'm struck, and I know this is making much of something little, but the the anonymous they, I forget how many times they occurs in this passage. Now, some people in groups are named, but uh, basically the crowd is anonymous. And you think of that dynamic today, what, what happens with group thing, think when people get in a crowd. And one of the comments about social media is that people can hide themselves and make outrageous and hurtful statements and be this anonymous they um, And I'm, I'm struck That in the midst of all of this That's going on Being abused and mocked Jesus announces To use my term That the tables will turn You know this is not The end of the story folks There's another outcome uh, And at first Jesus is accused Of theological misconduct Claimed to be the Messiah When that did not work The the, the crowd, they escalated to a political one, accusing Jesus of advocating and not pay taxes. And then my final observation that really captured my attention, as we know, there are the so-called seven last words from the cross, three of which are in Luke. And the first is Jesus asking forgiveness for those who are abusing and killing him. He offers an assurance to a dying criminal, and then he makes his own declaration of confidence in God. The contrast between that and the rest of this passage is very compelling.
2: Thank you. Charles Willard, your thoughts? Uh, None to contribute at this point. Thank you. Thank you. I was... uh connecting to uh, your
0: word granularity Sarah, that uh, that's where i went to with it on the details mm. uh it it i read differently i listen differently because it just slows down uh it's, mm. it's tough, but he uh it emphasizes for me jesus has no advocate the slowness of it um uh, the, the details drive the fact that it's him, and it also drives that he's he's abandoned, he's alone, but he's also being passed from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, bouncing around, just place to place to place. It mm. just goes on. Oh, the sense, of, you know, the slowness of time rather than speed of time, and it, I think it emphasizes the loss of liberty. Um, and the details vary and. Uh, and I'm really drawn to the multiple jurisdictions, which is, I guess, Bill, to your point, it's like it's real. You know, getting bounced around in systems, getting bounced around in jurisdictions. Uh, I can have some sense of what it's like to be held in one place and then held in another and abused in another. Uh, it, uh, different rules than different people, Uh Different opinions, different pre-existing opinions, different treatment, uh, even different nations are coming into play here. So I, I'm driven to the, like Sarah said, the granularity of the micro of this, uh, and I guess I was thinking last night, preparing for this. You know, what am I feeling here? Uh, and it is different every time I read it. And my feeling was, I just wrote it down. I had a complete loss of understanding of how justice is even possible. Uh, Not just in the scene, but at any time. I mean, it's this almost hopelessness feeling that in the story it's there. How is justice possible ever? And I I wonder if that's intentional, Mm -hmm. Luke, to leave me in that place uh, as this chapter comes to an end. Uh, It needs the details to remind me that even the terrible extreme chapter, Bill, like you were saying, rings true completely to me. Well, let, let's go on to the, uh, the next question. And, uh, Bill, I'll, I'll send this your way. Uh, and, and Let's look specifically at Voice 23. And their voices began to prevail. And I was wondering what your insights were on this observation, beyond it just making a turning point. It's obviously held up as like, and then, and then right. the things begin to change. But what what are your thoughts about that term that and their voices began to prevail?
3: Right, thank you. I yes, it is a turning point, and um, it was interesting to me how long I lingered on this in preparation. Don, it's it's a powerful uh, pivoting point. Um, and just to briefly remind us or read a few verses beginning at 23, but they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he, Jesus, should be crucified and their voices prevail. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. In some ways, this overlays with what I said in the response of the first question, Don, the uh, the ring of reality. Uh, I, look today at how much weight we put on polls. Uh, now, I'm not saying they have no value, and honestly, I listen to them when they're reported, but it's like you find truth, supposedly, by taking the temperature of the loudest shouters. Um, there's an old mantra. When in doubt, shout. Um, if, if, if there's nuances and any sense of uncertainty, just keep raising your voice and demanding uh, to have your way. Uh, and in verse 25, ends that Pilate handed Jesus over as they wished. Pilate was a leader. He didn't need the people's permission, at least what I think I understand of Roman government, and how governments work So again, Don, um, there's this hot potato Trying to hand off Responsibility uh, Onto the people And sadly, a quick note Over the centuries uh, There were those Supposed Christians Who blamed Jews For killing Jesus uh, So In one sense, what Pilate tried to do Worked for some people uh, Rather than it was the Roman government that killed Jesus, it was the Jews. And by my count, this is the third time Pilate had tried to resist the demand of the anonymous they. Uh, So for me, there's a sadness that leaders sometimes tend to try to determine the truth based on proud pressure and crowd pleasing. Uh, Again, it rings true in today's world. Thank you. Uh,
0: Before I come to you, Charles, I I wanted to just bridge to what you were saying, Bill. I'm with you. I I have not been exposed to the intensity of crowds in this way, but I know that it's true. I, I know it's there. But I think, I was thinking about, but even in the micro I've experienced, you know, the pressures of smaller crowds, of smaller voices, of anger, it, even it's small groups, you know, uh, even, even as a child, you, set, you know, the people, quote, ganging up on others. So I think it's all, it's something we can all touch in some way, even if we haven't seen you know, the intensity of a, of a crowd like that, um, and that it's part of the condition that we live in. I I think it's another jurisdiction shouting too. So he's passed from one to another and another, and then there's a final jurisdiction. Oh my, which are the voices, the shouts, uh, and and I I think reading at this time, is there a is there a challenge to me as a reader to say when have I been a voice in a crowd, and even you know, and, and even a small small group. Have I ever ganged up on anybody? Have I, have I ever got caught up in a movement of any kind without thinking clearly? Just getting caught up. And I, I this for the first time I've read that is like examine my own heart. Have I have I ever? Have I ever leapt to a conclusion? Have I ever tapped into someone else's anger <laughs> and fed on that? I think there's a, a challenge here which which allows everybody to go my voice, my voice, my voice. What am I doing? Uh, so I do see it as another jurisdiction coming into play. It's like, it's already chaos, but what are these voices? It really is chaos. Uh, you know, it's the depths. It's, it's, the, it's the great sea. It's the unknown. It's, it's chaos. Uh, and the voices prevailing for me means, uh, at this moment, chaos prevails. And we, I talked about advocacy in the first question. Uh, Jesus had no advocate, that loneliness, the time passing. There's only a few hours. It seems like an eternity, doesn't it? it seems like an eternity. Uh, but there is a kind of advocate appearing, and these voices are an advocate. They're an advocate almost like fiat. There's this transaction taking place for Barabbas' sake. And so Golgotha is preceded by this the transaction. The voices make possible It's really more about killing than saving a life. I mean, that that transaction really isn't about save this man. The transaction is kill. Let's kill. Um, Charles, what about you? What what are your thoughts on uh, the voices prevailing?
2: Well, as I've thought about this passage and in the middle of the process of reading and rereading and thinking about it, it it, it occurs to me that it's really – impossible, I think, for any of the four of us or other four like us um, to understand and to have a sense of um, any informed sense of what it would have been like to have been part of that crowd. I mean, either, either Barabbas, who was supported by his followers. But it would have been dangerous for him. I mean, for them because actually uh, Brabus was being, was going to be um, executed because of things that he and people under his jurisdiction command, uh, his, his, his cronies had done uh, including murder and Jesus, if you think about the different the 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 the, the severity of the accusations made against Jesus as opposed to Barabbas, it was it's just hard to imagine how any choice like that could have been made in the way that it was made. I just you know I just I just there's a there's an unreality to that that I. Put to the hand of Luke or uh, his predecessor in the creation of the, these these narratives, um, it's just a strange thing to me. Thank you uh,
0: it, 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 just just let me try this on that so don't we live in a world that seems to be insisting on moral relativity? I, I, I just I just hear it and hear it. I don't think it's unique to, to today, though I can give you lots of examples where it's like, well, because this happened, I can do this. Because, you know, i just sensing a more, there's a moral relativism coming out in this. It seems awfully familiar to me, Charles. Does that, does that ring true for you? Yeah.
2: No, I mean, I just can't imagine any one of us ever having experienced or even imagining experiencing a situation in which our voice led to the death of one person and uh, the, the uh, freedom of somebody who is known to be, have committed crime, murders, and, and to imagine your voice being the deciding one,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I just, it just I just, I, I, I can't, I can't, I uh, can't imagine any present circumstance in which I have ever been involved or would be involved, as far as I can think of it. Imagine it now, that was like the picture that we're given here. Thank you. How about you, Sarah?
1: I'm of two minds about this, so I'm going to open with both sides of my thinking. I went with you, Don. Am I one of these voices? Um, Have I been the one to yell out loudly and overspeak the truth? Um, How easy it is for for us, me, to co-opt the purposes of God, especially when I want a different outcome. In this narrative, the crowd wants a different outcome than what Pilate wanted, and Jesus includes me in the petition he makes when he asks for the forgiveness of them. They don't know what they're doing. And despite my best illusions, I don't have the mind of God. I'm not I'm not um you know, I, I often want to move back into Eden and try to eat that fruit again because you know I, I constantly come up with the same idea that maybe, you know, after all this study that I have some inkling of the mind of God, and I don't. And then the other half of my brain goes, but what if my silence is causing more trouble than my yelling? And in, 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 in thinking about the disciples and the guilt that they'll carry from this moment about keeping quiet and not defending and not stepping up and going, wait a minute, the truth says this, this, is, this man has not done anything. Um, So I I stand accused on both sides of this conversation. Um, By my silence, in often cases, I'm witness to things that are, are not just. I'm witness to things that are hurtful and damage other people. In some cases, I'm the actual weapon that's used to damage other people. My voice is given over to some frustration or some anger or some selfish desire, and so I, I stand accused on both of these, and I hear these words: "Forgive them." So I'm either a part of them or they, but I'm also the recipient of this forgiveness.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm going to move on to the, the, the final question, uh, and this is uh, asking everybody to. Uh, look a little more broadly at uh, the work of the author of Luke, uh, and knowing there's uh, multiple settings in the chapter that follows. What are your thoughts about the storytelling, the relational, or the, even the theological di- dynamics in chapter 23? Oh. In context with chapter 24, Uh Let's turn the page, and of course, we'll be looking at that in the week to come. As uh, a matter of fact, Bill has proposed that we stay on Luke in next week to follow. So let's set the stage and consider the pair of chapters together. And Sarah, your, your thoughts about the, the relational the storytelling differences and connections as we turn from the end of 23, the death cries, into chapter 24?
1: Uh, I love how it moves from the anonymous, brutal setting into this very rich, individual, relational, loving perspective. And so it's this shift from what I call macro to micro and, and how easy it is to be anonymous in the macro and how um, sweet it is to be a part of the micro exchanges that take place in chapters I'm um, 24 in contrast to 23. So I'm excited to move toward 24.
0: Thank you.
3: How about you, Bill? You're getting ready for next week as well. <laughs> yeah, and next week we'll dive in and uh, to the passage. So I think in some ways, Sarah, I'm echoing you. As I thought about this question uh, I I don't have the talent to be a movie producer or a drama writer, but I thought about how you might do this in a dramatic presentation. And um, the passage for today, Don, uh, just lifting a few words out: the assembly they accuse, vehemently accuse, contempt and mocked. Uh, one of the criminals derided him, the political. Maneuvering by Pilate and Herod that we mentioned, the increasing uh, volume of the crowd's uh, demand that Jesus be put to death, the um, caving in by all of that turmoil. And then um, uh, it, it ends with, but all... Jesus's acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. The the distance to me, Sarah, is poignant. They're they're at a distance. They're 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 stepping back and and pondering this. And um, then uh, the passage we will look at, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, and it's interesting. Luke begins by saying, they came to the tomb. It's only later in this narrative that he names the they. I don't know that Luke did that on purpose. That's not what I'm saying. For me, it was, there's a different they. <laughs> uh, at least my mind uh, lingered on that. So the again, Sarah, you said it well, the contrast between the, the noise and the anger And the destruction, and now the quiet of of a new day. Um, And it was the women who are named and came. And just a hint at what I plan to, at least at this point, focus on next week is the contrast in styles of leadership between Pilate, Herod, the crowd, and Jesus. Uh, there is a, I, I think it would almost be impossible fully in any presentation to capture the the power and the depth and the energy of this contrasting competing view of, 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 of life and of what we're about. Thank you. Thank you. The, uh, the new, ch- the,
0: the, the chapter, the follow, the final chapter is, I think, really strange when compared to the others. And I want to push the envelope a little bit. That say, in its domesticity, it's otherworldly. It's, you know, there are people walking down a road and having dinner. It's like, why is this so weird? And just to make a point, I'm going to push it a little bit and say, it's so strange because it's just bad literature. And I I mean this in a really positive way in terms of Christ. It is so weird. It is so out of sync. That's what Christ is. That it makes for bad. I'm putting my fingers in quotes for these watching in Zoom. It makes for very bad literature. Because what should happen? The end of chapter 23 is the way a story ends. There is an execution and he dies. At the end, that's the way literature ends. And Luke goes, "I'm going to put something else here that's startling in it's domesticity," and I, and that helps me think about the Christ uh, when that chapter is is added. Maybe it could end as women go to the garden. That's that's a natural ending, in literature, right? He passes. And then they go to to protect the memory of Jesus. The end. That's the the human story. Or maybe they go to begin memorializing so they can tell stories and people get on with their lives. And they remember, but they're traumatized. Mm -hmm. The end. Or another way you could do it is if you're going to keep the new chapter, take Jesus out of it. What is that? It makes more sense in literature, doesn't it? There's a couple walking down the road, talking, completely traumatized, maybe you haven't slept, walking and reflecting what's taking place. The story's told again. The end. They go and have dinner with people. They're all together, traumatized, trying to pull their lives together in grief, trying to get some peace, trying to be with each other, loving each other, remembering the teacher. The end. Those are all that. That's literature. That's the human story. So I think there's a neat exercise which is okay, write chapter twenty four and take Jesus out of it. And what do you get? Together, remembering someone locked in history, all with the, only their memories, and that's it. Then add Jesus very strange. Bad literature, atypical, completely unfaithful to the human condition. Completely unfaithful to the way literature is supposed to work, which is about the arc of our lives and our memories. Something different thinking plate. Of course it's bad literature. Of course it's bad. Of course it makes no sense because that's what Christ is doing here. But I just love that it hasn't that it becomes so so domestic there at the end. Charles, you get the last response here. What are your thoughts about these two chapters put together?
2: I think that we are maybe forgetting the fact that this is not, Luke wasn't, at least I don't think, Luke wasn't trying to create something for us to embrace. Luke was trying to say the way it was, as he experienced it. But this is years later. This is not this is not like here's the newspaper today describing the events of today and I'm the I'm the writer doing that. And as so it as is a newspaper coming out. And so it you know it, it has to be an immediacy about it. This was this was decades after all these things had happened. So there was nothing Knew there was nothing surprising. It was all there. Everybody, not everybody, but, but the people around Jesus who had continued his work, uh, Paul, who read about, uh, you know, wrote about these, uh, these things, all before these things, which had happened decades before, were being written about. So it's it's not as though it was uh you know how do we how do we make sense of this? They had been asking that question actively for decades before they finally got set to paper or papyrus or whatever. And I just I think it. I guess I think that we're trying to. Imagine how it might have been, but how it might have been the way that we, we would anticipate having experienced it. And that's not, what, that's not what Luke did. That's not what the readers of Luke's gospel, once they saw it, that's, that's, it's not as though this is news to them. They have been thinking about this. They have been reflecting upon this. They have been talking about this. They have been praying about this. They have been remembering all these things until Luke finally put them together in this particular way. Borrowing you. from his pal Mark and adding things that uh, he shared with uh, his pal um, um, uh, Matthew, but it's it it, 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 it it was not new information.
0: Thank you, Charles. And before we say goodbye, let's just look around and see if there's any closing comments or reflections from anybody.
2: Good.
3: Real quickly, something just occurred to me. Again, talking about the contrast. Four people in this narrative declare Jesus innocent Pilate, Herod, one of the thieves, and a centurion, not the crowd. And two of those who declared him innocent wouldn't stick to their decision. Hmm. Just a thought. Thank you. And then uh,
0: next week, Bill
3: Hull, you're going to take
0: us into chapter, and we look forward to that. And for folks listening in, Palmacia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P A L M A C E I A.org. We always commend that site to you for other discussions of the scripture, differences of opinion. Worship services, prayer, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out. And you're always welcome. We'll see you next time.